Abolition. My name is Brandon Patriot, and I'll be your host today on this magic carpet ride. So let's get started. All right, so I'm recording now. All right, today on the Movement of Color podcast, we got Desmond Abrams from Cooking with Comrades. How are you doing, Desmond? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be sitting down with you. How are you? I am. I'm amazing. Good. So this is a really cool project you got going, Cooking with Comrades. Uh, Tell me more about it. Well, Cooking with Comrades, it's basically the brainchild of me and all my friends on Facebook. (laughs) Um, I've been in left book for a while and and if people are familiar with black Twitter then the concept of left book should be uh, kind of familiar it's basically that little section of Facebook where all the commies and anarchists and black identity extremists hang out Uh, so I'm all up in there and uh, besides from just posting all day about race and politics and you know, how much I hate uh, Trump's haircut and Steve yeah. Bannon's face. I'm also uh, posting pictures of, of good food and vegetarian dishes that I love. And it's just sort of something that I, I was doing for fun. And I'm kind of just like a self-care thing, uh, chopping up vegetables and listening to good music and hanging out with myself and whatever. And eventually one day I was, I was talking uh, to my ex-girlfriend and I was like, you know, I should have a cooking show. And then she was like, yeah. And then a few weeks later, I made a dish that was really, really good, and it looked really good. And I put it on Facebook, and, and I said the same thing. I said, what if I had a hip-hop-inspired, social justice-based cooking show? And people were all about it, and people were for it. And since then, we've been brick by brick building this platform, Cooking with Comrades, which is more than just a cooking show. It's a variety show and the, and the old 70s style variety show of skits, of sketches or sketches, excuse me, mm-hmm. and performers and poets and, and rappers and uh, activists and things like that. And we're just talking about all the things that, that is important to us in youth culture and in uh, leftist revolutionary politics and just having fun and, and chopping up some veggies, you know? Yeah. I, I saw the little clip, uh, I guess, segment commercial of Cooking with Comrades, and it right. just seems like a lot of fun. It is. <laughs> it is. It is. Like, <laughs> for, for the listeners, that was, that was um, I Like Your Smile by Shanice. Uh, yes, yes. Um, that was our that was our first shoot a few uh, I think about two Thursdays ago. 
our work is still getting edited down and we have another shoot coming up. I'm really excited about October 7th. Mm-hmm. We're going to be, I'm going to be interviewing a local uh, hip hop artist and really talented woman of color, uh, Desiree Key. Mm-hmm. And also I'm going to be sitting down and, and, and talking to Dominique Horton after a, a quick performance from her. So that's, I'm really excited about what the next couple of weeks of, of shooting has in store for us. Excited to watch the videos get uploaded after all the editing and all the work, and you know, because for two hours of fun, me hanging out and, and cooking and, and chopping up veggies and, and telling guillotine jokes, <laughs> uh, there's there's a, a, a nice amount of work that actually goes into the editing and, and and making things correct. I'm sure you know. So yeah, you gotta make it look good. Got to make it look good. Got to make it look good. Especially when Fox News got a billion-dollar budget. I mean, that's what we're up against, homie. Come on. Yeah, yeah. We got to compete with the big boys. Um, so you're a <laughs> Buffalonian, right? I am. I'm born and raised right here in Buffalo, New York, Queen City, Nickel City. Stand up, stand up. <laughs> you know, about 10 minutes from the from the Peace Bridge, but there's no peace here. <laughs> so that's what it is. So how does that inform your activism and um, this project? Well, this project is, is based around not just my activism, but the activism of a lot of folks in the community who have been fighting. Uh, and, and Buffalo is a battleground. You know, we don't get the same attention as Ferguson or Chicago, but Buffalo, New York is a battleground. Uh, the police have already murdered about three people of color since 2017 purposely. That's Wardell Mish Davis. Junior, uh, Jose Rossi Hernandez, and uh, Pito uh, Rafael Rivera, I believe is, is his last name. Mm-hmm. I know his nickname is Pito for sure. That's since 2017, not to mention the hit and runs, not to mention the brutality, the attacks. This is something that's been going on for a while. We've had the strike force here. I grew up under the strike force. <laughs> and it's People want to look up the strike force. It's just recently been abolished, but uh, it was a, a basically a, a task force within the Buffalo Police Department that was meant to bust heads. So 12, 13, 14 years old, growing up in the inner city of Buffalo, New York. Uh, inner city, of course, is cold for where the black people live. Yeah. Uh, the east side? So the east side, yep, yep. We're one of the most segregated cities in, in, the, in the country, too. Um, so I, I saw a lot of brutality, and I continue to see a lot of brutality. Um, and, and yeah, that's informed a lot of, of my activism. You know, I'm 26 years old now, but I've been active here in Buffalo and, and, and uh, around basically the East Coast fighting fascism, racism, capitalism since, since about 14 years old. Wow, you got started pretty young. Did you have radical parents? No, um, just radical circumstances, man. You know, uh, growing up in the inside of Buffalo, right around the time of junior high, um, that was when Katrina happened. Uh, of course, if people remember Katrina with the, the bodies floating in the streets and the people on the roof, those were primarily black people. And those Primarily black people look like my neighbors because I lived in a segregated city and still do. They look like my family. They look like everybody I've ever seen. You know, it wasn't until high school until I started actually seeing white people. That's how segregated the city of Buffalo is. Wow. So, 
seeing the people floating up and down the street. I saw my mailman, I saw my teacher, I saw my big brothers and big sisters. I, I saw uh, I saw myself and thought, why is the federal government not doing shit for, for us? You know? Mm-hmm. That same summer, I think uh, there was an Israeli Hezbollah conflict, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 2006. That was Katrina. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Plus the surge. It was a lot going on. And it, you know, made me upset. And at the time, Kanye wasn't a, a douchebag. Sorry. <laughs> but at the time, when he went on there with Shrek and it was like, you know, George Bush doesn't care about black people. I was a junior high school kid in love with hip hop, in love with, you know, backpack, backpack rap and everything. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. George Bush does not care about black people. From there, I kind of made some other leaps and bounds that were past Bush, past the presidency, past the Senate, the Congress, past my mayor, uh, the mayor of Buffalo at the time, and still is Byron Brown, um, first black mayor here. And I started to think that it's not just Bush that doesn't care about black people. It's an entire system of white supremacy capital that just wants to throw us uh, into the waters, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and that's systematic. It's been churning for 400 years, you know? Mm-hmm. Of course. But um, to pivot on, because we could talk about that forever, and that could be a whole nother uh, segment and a whole nother show. Sure. Um, you mentioned earlier that um, you you enjoy doing vegetarian cooking. Is that a main focus of cooking with comrades or is that just uh, a segment? I would say it's a component, right? Because the main component are the conversations with these activists and community organizers and poets and artists. That's the main component is sort of unleashing talent from my city onto the world, right? Mm. And, And beyond, honestly. So uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to start interviewing people from all over and having these really in-depth and good conversations with people about their work and their struggles where they are, right? Yeah. Um, the fact that we're having food and, 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 and enjoying good music and things like that is a, is a nice added component. You know, I think in this revolutionary work, we do get lost in ourselves, I mean, and the, the grind and, and the struggle of it, we forget to take care of ourselves. And, and I think cooking with comrades is a good way to remind remind revolutionaries. They're like, hey, um, have you eaten today? Right? Have you, have you eaten some fresh fruits, juicy fruits, <laughs> drinking enough water? You know, gotten to listen to your favorite song for a little bit. You know. Yeah. And also enjoy fellowship because that's. Yeah, that's part of the process and the healing process where maybe you just put down the activist mantle just for a bit, you know, turn off that big brain Mm -hmm. and just uh, enjoy one another. Exactly. Exactly. So I have a question for you now. I'm I'm passionate about solidarity, solidarity economics and the you know, I guess cooperative economics and whatnot. And Buffalo has a nice little stirring of that going on. 
do you think, just for me, you can get a couple activists that operate in that realm on uh, Cooking with Comrades? So what's your question exactly? Okay. So the Solidarity Economics uh, New Economy Movement is actually um, pretty strong in Buffalo to some degree. You know, where cooperatives, uh, land trusts, that sort of thing. Yeah, and yeah. I was wondering if you can possibly get some of those guests on your on your show. That's the plan. I, I know most of them already. Uh, most of them were the, the same people I told you about that were super here for the show when I when I like kind of first announced the idea. Mm-hmm. Those are the same people. So yeah, for sure. Uh, like for instance, the uh, you know there's a community land trust in the Fruit Belt which is doing great work. There's the African Heritage Food Cooperative. Uh, they're about to open up a grocery store. Uh, this brother Alexander Wright and, and his comrades, and they've expressed some interest as well. So uh, it's a great thing that there's so this is such a good uh, cooperative spirit has come to Buffalo, and it's, it's really like staying here, and, and people are really getting the message that the new economy can work, and it's something that we should try and and, and get away from these old models. So I'm excited. That's great. So, where could our listeners check out Cooking with Comrades? Well, our channel on YouTube is up, right, with our one clip, our one lonely one-minute clip, just a commercial for you, just to get folks excited. Smile, Comrades is the name of it, and it's on the page Cooking with Comrades, and it's a C-O-O-K-I-N-G space, W-I-T-H space, Comrades, C-O-M-R-A-D-E-S, right? And uh, the, one of the things you should see is me in my little handy-dandy red hand, red head band punching at the screen. <laughs> and that's Cooking with Comrades, yeah. Well, you know, Desmond, I had a wonderful time speaking with you. Right, thank and you so much. Yeah, hopefully we can get you back on here. Maybe we talk about some of your future, some of your best dishes and... You know, things like that, you know. Uh, look out for a buffalo, avocado, and veggie bake. Ooh. Okay. It's not a Philly cheesesteak because I'm not from Philly. I'm not using cheese and for damn sure not using steak. <laughs> you know, and also to the listeners at home, you know, uh, we're, we're building this brick by brick, getting everything off the ground. Please support us. You can go to PayPal. You go to cookingwithcomrades at gmail.com. That's our PayPal, uh, cookingwithcomrades at gmail.com. That's also our email. You can reach me if you if you have any ideas for, for guests or people to reach out to. Uh, the PayPal, of course, is cookingwithcomrades at gmail.com, as well as the Patreon. Become a Patreon member at Patreon slash cookingwithcomrades. So just across the board, come hit us up. Give a donation, be a part of that solidarity movement, that new economics. Because smile, you know, cooking with comrades, we're not we're not gonna go the the traditional route of, you know, let me pitch this show to somebody important in a suit. <clears throat> right? Yeah. So we're building this grassroots brick by brick, trying new things, experimenting with new things, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work. And we need your help. We need your help. So again, that's uh, Patreon, 
uh, slash Cooking with Comrades to, to donate. Again, the, the channel on YouTube is Cooking with Comrades. Uh, the PayPal, cookingwithcomrades at gmail.com. And the Gmail, just to get a hold of us, cookingwithcomrades at gmail.com. I don't know how many times I could say the title of our shit on here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. Yeah, you, just keep, you know. keep shoving it in there every time, cookingwithcomrades.com. Anytime, just throw it in I, there, you know. I'm throwing it in there like it's a stir fry, baby. Come on. Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, you got our support here, and, you know, like, I would love to have you back on um, in the future, and regular if possible. So, Thank you. Thank same. you. And reach out, man. I, I'll take a, I'll take a phone call on any subject or any time because I talk my ass off. It's the East Coast way. We we talkers over here, so come come holler. Alright, sounds good. Thank you. ago, Kenzo Shibata and I had a little discussion about the police and police brutality and the abolition of police and ICE. Here's a little segment of that whole conversation. Enjoy. And I think the timing of it was pretty perfect. The fact that Colin Kaepernick is kind of leaving the zeitgeist in a way. Um, and, you know, the police brutality is not going away. Um, it's, if anything, it's getting worse now. Uh, and now to kind of reignite this, this conversation, I think is really important. Um, but we do need to like take it out of conversations and like come up with solutions. I don't have solutions. <laughs> uh, I wish I did. Um, but, uh, we had, that's something that we definitely need to be focusing on right now. I agree. I think we need to. Work on solutions. And there's a lot of people with, like, good ideas. But I feel like either their voices or those solutions don't get heard so that we can at least debate on it, make it better. Um, Like, people were like, oh, abolish the police department. I'm like, okay, I can see your point on that. But there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be fucking scared of that. So what are you going to do? To give them, to empower those people, essentially, to be comfortable in their own neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And they don't need the fucking state to use their coercive powers to abuse their neighbors so they can feel safe at night. What are we going to do to empower those people so that they can make a difference in their communities and step up? Um, mm-hmm. That's what in I think the next step Chicago, we're still fighting to get a commission with actual teeth to it that could keep these police accountable. And I think that's a great step. Um, abolition. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know much about it. Uh, I, I don't know uh, how I feel about it. I should say, mm-hmm. um, I, there's a, I, one of the big issues I have with it is, and one of the things I'm fearful of is, okay, let's say we did abolish the police. We have this giant force of, of police still out there. I mean, they're still human beings. They're still going to be out there and they're going to be angry. And, you know, what we see through their union is that they're organized and, you know, they're basically like the biggest street gang um, 
in the country, you know, the, the police. Mm-hmm. So we'd have to figure out what we would do about that um, if, if we were to abolish the police. Like the fact that they're just going to be hordes of these angry people with guns <laughs> everywhere. Well, you know what? I'm going to go down this tangent. Um, okay. Here's a solution. Because those police officers live in a neighborhood somewhere, right? I look at I look towards the Rojava model, what they do in Rojava, where they have community policing, where members of a certain age in their communities, they take two-week terms of being essentially the police. Okay. And they're not there to, like, bust people on fucking property crimes. Like, Holt, you stole some shit. You know, they're there to kind of, somebody fell down, Timmy fell down a well, or, you know, you guys are having a dispute over property shit. All right, let me see if I can, you know, be a peer mediator on this. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. And I think if these former police officers kind of did, you know, all right, they had two weeks where they can kind of patrol. They're not there to try to, you know, be a coercive force in the community, but be one that's of help and aid to people. And then they take two weeks off, and then somebody else in the neighborhood, maybe the old lady who just is nosy and in everybody's business, she's, you know, what we would say would be the narc of the neighborhood. You know, she can do her two weeks, and then, you know, the 20-year-old kid who's, you know, home from college or whatnot, he takes his shift. And then you have this series where the community, they're policing themselves, and there are mechanisms that are there to um, mediate and arbitrate disputes in a collective manner. Uh-huh. That's how I can kind of see abolishing police. That's an interesting idea. I like the idea of it being rotating, so it's not it doesn't become like this entrenched power over the community. It becomes, you know, the community itself helping helping itself. It's kind of a it's built to thwart, you know, police corruption as well. You're uh-huh. not you're not going to screw over your neighbor, uh-huh. especially when they got a shift coming up in two two to four weeks. Yeah. Yeah, that's just instant accountability. But I think that's an idea that um, I think we need to give a little bit more media attention to when there's these issues of police brutality so that maybe we can discuss it and people can have that dialogue. Is maybe we don't need the police. Uh-huh. Because historically, they haven't been around forever. Uh-huh. Um, just like ice like people don't realize that like these are not concepts that have been here since the beginning of time we were able to figure these things out without these men with guns (laughs) exactly yeah ice started in like 2003 yeah yeah I was in my first year of fucking college (laughs) and now people are afraid of oh we gotta get rid of fucking we can't get rid of ice what do you mean get rid of ice Come on. <laughs> Come on, people. Uh, especially, oh, small small government Republicans. Uh-huh. 
Like, you fuckers need to get back on your game if you really <laughs> being small government. Or was that just only when it's convenient, when it screws, you know, people of color? Small government and, like, libertarian, like, uh, you know, American libertarianism, uh, that's just, it's such a fig leaf for being a fascist. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah, small government, oh, but we, we need to have people protecting my property. <laughs> And yeah, that's that's why a lot of those folks um, that if they weren't smoking what Gary Johnson was smoking, <laughs> they went on to you know vote for Trump uh-huh. and support Trump. And Trump supports the fucking police because he likes his property protected, uh-huh. and he likes power. So he likes to fuck over people who don't have power. Mm-hmm. When I was yeah, I guess I was 19 years old. I was driving to my fourth day of working at UPS. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, I was a teamster, which was pretty cool. Uh-huh. And I needed to get new gloves because when you are a loader or unloader, it's, uh, it can be really dangerous if you don't have hand protection. Mm-hmm. And I get pulled over. And at the time, I was in, I was in the suburbs. And there's a big difference by driving while black or brown or other when you are in the city of Milwaukee. Because they'll, they'll, they'll pull you over. They'll generally fuck with you a little bit. But most of the time, you can be okay, depending on where you're at. Mm-hmm. When you get out into the suburbs, you're always suspect. Mm-hmm. And I believe I was in Greenfield. And anyway, I get pulled over and my license plates expired because of a ticket that I thought I paid or taken care of, but it was not taken care of. Mm-hmm. And they ran my plates. It wasn't because they saw, oh, yeah, those are, you know, a sticker on your on your license plate from you know 1993 and it's 2003. They had to run my plates. They pulled me over. I was driving a Pontiac Bonneville, uh-huh. and um, they took they took me in. But first, before they took me in, they're like, "Okay, they wanted to cuff me up." And it's like, "Oh, it's standard that we do this." And I'm like, "All right." And there was a moment where I'm like, you know, hey, I'm cooperating with this. Could you cuff me in front? That's what I wanted to say. Uh-huh. And um, when I kind of was like, hey, can I, and I started to protest, I looked around and I scanned. And I noticed, oh, all these cops have their hands on their guns. Uh-huh. And that's when I realized Nobody gives a fuck about if my wrists are going to be uncomfortable or not. I'm going to get smoked if I don't just shut the fuck up. Uh Uh-huh. And that's when, you know, I was confronted with the idea, okay, at any moment, because of how the system is set up, they have guns. I have none. They are Uh jumpy. Um... They probably have some level of race, racial bias. 
I can I'm going to lose in this situation. Um, fortunately, I mi- I missed that day at work. Unfortunately, but fortunately, the union and told my union rep and you know told management what happened, and they were cool with it, and I didn't lose my job. Yeah. Uh, but just in that scenario alone, how it plays out, it plays out every day in America, and sometimes. The, I guess the victim, they don't easily get away from it like I did. Uh-huh. Um, so that is my story. And I guess the purpose behind telling that story is I think we should all be at some point feel comfortable with telling our stories so that people realize this isn't just a couple bad apples. Uh-huh. This is systemic. And it's just like the Me Too kind of thing in the sense that everybody has a story of some degree. Um, well, it's like that refrain that people have where well, they'll say like, well, you don't have nothing to worry about if you don't resist. Well, like, you know, in your story, you weren't resisting and you still had these cops with their hands on their guns. Um, so I mean, I think that's a really impactful story and it's really good to put out there for that reason. Yeah. And I mean... My, and that just adds to the idea of like, okay, there's other people who didn't resist. Uh, mm-hmm. Philando Castile did not resist. Mm-hmm. Uh, we he did, did everything right. He did everything the way the government tells you you should do things. And at the end of the day, you know, he lost his life. Exactly. In an extremely horrific manner. And as a, you know, and that community, they lost, they lost a vital member of the community. Mm-hmm. And um, just because we gave some people guns because they're supposed to enforce, you know, a t- broken taillight, mm-hmm. your registration's fucked, you know? Yeah. Really and nothing. then one of, the, um, one of the things that people are really not talking much about, um, about, um, you know, his murder is how many, like, you know, people were traumatized. You know, his own kid was traumatized. The kids he, you know, the kids that he worked with every day at work, you know, they had to hear that. He, and they, you know, as much as people maybe wanted to sugarcoat it for them, like the kids watch the news. The kids know what's going on. This person who they know as being this pure, good person who remembered their name, remembered what allergies they had and which, you know, foods they can and can't eat was murdered for no reason, was murdered, you know, because of racism. And that's traumatic. That's something that these kids are going to hold on to for their entire lives. And that cop is not accountable for any of it. Not at all. Not at all. Like when you're that, when you're young, when you're little, a person like that could make your entire day. That could be the reason why you love going to school. And now that person was just murdered like that. You don't, you don't easily get over that. And you, you maybe never get over that. Yeah. And so now the community kind of has to try to pull together, make sense of it, heal themselves. It'll never be the same. Life does go on for the living, but it's, it should make us think twice about police, the police departments and the system we have and how we need to make a change. And the more and more I 
I see these things, the more I lean towards police abolition. Mm-hmm. Um, until, because I mean, everything else is a, it's a, it's a band aid. More training, that doesn't yeah. do shit. Um, training, the, the whole training thing, like in Chicago, uh, for, for people listening who aren't privy to this, um, in Chicago, Rahm Emanuel um, it pushed through a $95 million cop academy in Chicago to, um, you know, ostensibly to fix the problems of police brutality, whereas, you know, the police are still brutalizing people in their communities right now. Rahm Emanuel isn't doing a damn thing about it. He is completely opposed to any kind of commission to uh, keep these cops accountable, but he's totally cool and fine with funding $95 million of our tax money to this cop academy. There's only one member of city council. That's our comrade, Carlos Rosa, who opposed that, you know, 49 other members of city council, members of the progressive caucus, even, you know, voted for this thing. And, um, it, uh, it just it's it's so political. It's so like, you know, if you I'm sure if you went if you went a little bit beyond things, you know, it's ninety five million dollars that's going to vendors that are friends of or supporters of Rahm Emanuel. And it's not gonna do a damn thing about keeping these police accountable. It's not they're not gonna train them not to kill people, you know. <laughs> I, yeah. It's just such a it's just it's 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 insult to injury is what it is. And it's not gonna. It's not gonna make Chicago any safer. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, Chicago, if you just removed all cops, mm-hmm. would probably be a safer society. Mm-hmm. Um, even in you know the trouble spots where you know there's gang violence or this or that. If you just remove the cops and let people figure it out themselves, I think. It would be safer, but that's that's my thought. I think so too. <laughs> well, you know, Kenzo, thank you for uh, having this this conversation with me. Yes, yeah, it's good. The cops. So, thank you. Well, thank you for having me, or you know, thank you for for being part of it too. Come to the end of another episode. Hate to bum you out, but I gotta go soon. But before I leave you, I would just like to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at movement underscore color and become a supporter at our Patreon site at www.patreon.com backslash movement of color. My name is Brandon Payton Carrillo. I enjoyed my time with you this week. Thank you. And adios.